You're listening to the soundtrack of Quinnipiac, 98.1 WQAQ, entertaining Hamden, New Haven, and the world. The new WQAQ, from the underground up. Instead of sitting, the rhymes kick, the beats hitting you just like a home run, slamming like a slam dunk. Ride the wave, James Brown, Gay Funk, it happened to James like it happened to me. How you think it feel to see another MC get paid? Using my rap style, and I'm playing the background. Meanwhile, I ain't with that. So you can't get that. You took my style. Yeah, I'm so taking it today, back, coming back um, like the turn like of the Jedi. Hour ago, uh, so I'm taking a two-year reporting class from my uh, grad program, and so every single time we come into class and he, he goes, okay, we're going to do, sorry, so background. The whole entire class is about doing stand-ups for TV, right? So every single week we come in, he has a scenario that he gives us, and we have to go outside. We have like 20 minutes to prep, and then we have to do a, a stand-up like, like uh, through our phones. So he goes, okay, I don't want to cause a stir on campus, but the scenario today is there was an assault on campus. It's totally fake. But there was an assault on campus that we need to report on. So we're all outside by North Lot and we're um, recording our, our things. And some girl's walking into her car and she goes, oh, my gosh, like, is this serious? Is this happening? And my professor for like, for like five minutes was like, no, 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 no. This is fake. No, like, stir. Nothing's happening. No one, no one was hurt. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And we're laughing because in class he, he was like, please, when you put this on YouTube, put fake all over it. So this way we, we don't cause, cause a stir on campus. And I just find it funny that there was a girl that was so like, oh, my goodness, is this like a real thing that's only going to solve on campus? Yeah. What? <laughs> Did you hear about that thing that happened at uh, Sleeping Giant this past weekend? Yeah, that was also weird. I, For a minute, I thought it was a dead body that, that was being we, like, there reported was, on. We, we, uh, Quinnipiac email blasted everybody saying that there was a, a police investigation happening at Sleeping Giant State Park and that they actually had to close down in the middle of a Saturday, too, like a beautiful Saturday. Very so sus. Um, over a thousand people hiking the giant probably that day. Yeah, it was, it was, so I don't know, I think it was like Barstool. I, then again, I don't know how, how reliable it is, but they were reporting like a, a pipe bomb. Doubt that was a thing. Probably just trying to get engagement. I have no idea. The Hamden PD didn't report anything, but for all, like there was an investigation. That's all we really know at this point. But, but my, that, so that was my funny story for the, for the day. <laughs> Jeez. Our Saturday though, our Saturday night was pretty good. Oh, oh, it was great. We went to the microbrewery. Like literally right behind uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Here literally right behind the Dunkin' Donuts. It was. Uh, it's an old translation that was reconverted into a brewery. Like, more, more like a bar. I, I don't know if they produce their own beer, but I well, I had uh, it was my first time going to a brewery and ordering beer, <laughs> and the newly minted twenty-one year old. No. Yes, um, for legal reasons, I have to say that I've only been drinking beer for two weeks, but but, but you have so it's okay. <laughs> yes, I have, um, but um, I had the worst beer I've ever had there. Okay, so Jack's been arguing with me on this. So he ordered a sour. It's like a fruity sour, super tangy, super, like, soury. It was a San Diego brewed beer. Because of why? Because the San Diego Padres beat the Cardinals, and everyone's on that wagon right now. And because Jack is the most extra person on the planet. I, I mean, like... You're you pretty know. extra. Uh, 
<laughs> you can't. All right, no one walks into a brewery where you can get get, get craft beers from across Connecticut, which by the way, Connecticut has, has like the most as I think the most craft breweries in the in, like in the country. Like most of them are located in Connecticut, and yet you go for the only beer that isn't from the Northeast. Yeah, you go for, the for only San Diego brew. brew beer. I mean, like you know what. <laughs> I thought it was a good idea in the moment, and then I took one <laughs> sip, and I was, and I made this, you know, I made that face that you make when you have a, one of those sour, sour patch bombs. Oh yeah, you know. But you know what? Uh, this is a little plug to micro. Uh, really good beer list, in my opinion. The food was terrific. Yeah. Oh my god, we I had, had the best antipasta I've ever had. We had General Sow's cauliflower. General Sow's cauliflower. Uh, that was awesome. The pretzel was good. Uh, I, I always get pretzels at, as like bar food. That that's like my thing. And what else did I have? I had a uh, oh, I had poutine. Interesting. Had, like yeah, the only poutine I've ever had because because I've never been to Canada was in a food truck, and it was very like greasy and not what it, what, what poutine is. I mean like, um, but it was it was interesting. I've had a um, I've had like a like like poutine traditionally as like a post ski meal. Yeah, because that's probably a very Vermont thing. It is. It is a very Vermont thing. Considering you're like, what, five miles from the border of Canada? Not not that close. <laughs> I'm pretty close, though. Yeah, yeah. so close enough. Uh, yeah, but, you know, it's 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 usually like a big, like, just at ski thing. You ordered it as as your whole ass meal, and I well, was like, geez. Alright, well, like, I wanted bar food, and I was like, eh, like, like, the average fries were boring, so I was like, okay, let's go with something a little more unique, and it was mm-hmm. fries and cheese curds. How bad could it be? But I, it was I, good. I wasn't terribly hungry going into that meal. Um, and you left hungrier. And I left. Well, no, I, I had a. I so I just ordered an antipasta, and it was so good. You know, the cheese was perfect. They had good olives, good peppers. I mean, good I mean, cauliflower. I mean, you can't screw up. You can't screw up antipasta. You could. Can you, you could. You could like put like brie cheese instead of like a, a nice like aged right. cheddar. Maybe it's me just being the the overt Italian that I am, but I don't think you could screw up uh, the antipasta. The best part of the night, though. Oh, it was Dan Ball. Dan Ball. For for some reason, the, the the heavens just just chose to connect on this little town in Connecticut, and Dan Ball blessed us with, with his five minute presence. Dan Ball pops in. He's celebrating his one year anniversary with uh, Taylor House. Shout out, shout out Taylor House, who's been on the show for about ten seconds, <laughs> one time. That was our peak. We'll have her on. We want to try to have her on as a student athlete again in oh, the near future. But it was so great to see Dan because you know how everyone left. And like everyone, we 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 nail this home a lot. Yeah, we all left in March, and, thinking we were going to see each other in a week. Well, well and like here we you, are, eight months later, just seeing each other for the first time. The crazy part too is that that me and Dan had uh, had grad classes together before he ended up uh, opting out out of grad school, and I was like, I mean, yeah, like I had no closure uh, with senior year. I didn't get to say goodbye to a lot of people, so. That was that was the first time I'd seen Dan since March, so it was uh yeah it was nice it was nice to get to see him again. But you know what else is nice? What we get to have our show live today. Yes, sir. So my class was uh, was cut short, thankfully. So we are live in studio. This is the Mac and Main Show. You're listening to the Mac and Main Show. WQAQ. The soundtrack of Quinnipiac. Is this the tiger? (laughs) 
Yes, indeed. We are live. WQAQ, the soundtrack of Quinnipiac. You are listening to the Mac and Main show. Stephen McAvoy, Jack Main, for the first time all semester, live in studio. It yep. is great. It is so great. We were actually, re- we already recorded our episode today. We recorded our episode uh, at about one one thirty p.m. in the uh, podcast studio in CC. So shout out those guys. Um, but the, the the stars align tonight. We have a huge show on tap, guys. Huge show on tap. Like we have, uh, you know, in terms of like guests that we've had on the show, Skip, our guest today, Megan Phillips, oh, whoa, <laughs> and then whoa, everyone whoa. else kind of falls don't, in line. Don't diss Megan Phillips. The like that. She's well, gonna be mad at us. Well, look, Megan. Megan was a great interview, and if you guys haven't listened to that, go make sure that you check it out on iTunes and Spotify. Um, but today we have uh, WDEV ninety six point one Waterbury Brady Farkas. He's going to join us in the second hour of the show today. I'm a little nervous because uh, Brady and I have met a number of different times in some very awkward situations. Very, Burlington's a small town, a uh, relative, relative. I, I, I can tell it's a small town, and Brady is was the sports personality for the ESPN affiliate. Mm-hmm. And so he's like a big deal in town. But because it's a small town, we, you know, we connect a lot. Yeah. And so I would like run into him. I ran into him at a restaurant one time. Uh, he asked me if I was 21. I wasn't 21, but I asked him if I could have an internship at ESPN. I, I never heard back from him after that. <laughs> uh, and then I met, and then I'm, you know, like two years later, this past summer, I, I see him again and I say, hey, Brady, what's up? Um, and this was at a, this was at a men's league baseball game. I saw him. (laughs) Were you in the men's league? I was filling in for, um, one of my buddies. You'll have to see that. Yeah. And I actually went two for five that day. My first time playing a competitive baseball game in Eric Kerr is calling me right now. Oh man. All right. You know what, Steve, you take this. I'm going to make sure Eric's not dying right now. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to totally just bail off of the Brady Farkas train right now, but Big news coming out of the NFL this week. We have a COVID outbreak, and this is something that uh, I've been following very much so. So the Tennessee Titans, uh, as of five days ago, announced that they have about 16 coronavirus cases. It's been uh, been going on throughout the last four days. As of today, the Titans do not have any positive cases in the morning. We're waiting to confirm anything for tomorrow. And then on the other side of uh, of the country, Cam Newton of the New England Patriots and... What, what is it, Jack? A, a, a assistant for the Chiefs? You know, um, COVID? a uh, practice squad quarterback. All right. So, so, so whose name is Oblivion? Yeah, well, yes. So, so, so Mr. Irrelevant over uh, in KC and Cam Newton both have COVID. So the Patriots uh, Chiefs game actually got rescheduled to right, right now. now. Um, <laughs> we could find the schedule, at, uh, the not schedule, the, sc- the score at some point. Jack, do you have that for us? I am, I am watching it currently. New England just picked up a first down with Nikhil Harry. It is six to three in the second. Terrific. And Holy cow, dude. So so new look uh, for Monday Night Football, considering usually you only have two games on Monday night um, on the fr- in, in the first week of the year or, t- or towards the last week of the year. We have two games. Uh, the other one will be the Falcons and Packers. Jack thinks it's going to be a wash. Honestly, it's just it's going to be the Falcons blowing a, a lead late. Uh, but the big the big deal is coronavirus. I, again, like I said, Tennessee has 16 cases. Cam Newton and a private squad player. Jack, I want to bring you into the equation here because you had a great article about a month ago. I did. Um, on, on the Mac and Main blog, shameless plug, go check it out. Yep, shameless and plug on the blog. The whole thing was about the what could the NFL, prior to them starting up, 
uh, learn from the bubbles in the NBA, NHL, and MLB. Now, now we already know what happened in the MLB. They are in the playoffs. However, there were two breakouts in both Miami and St. Louis early on in the year. There was question marks about whether or not, not they would reopen. They managed to come back. The NHL and NBA, as we know, have been almost flawless with yep. their uh, with their approach, putting players in Disney and then up, up in Canada. But, Jack, I want you to take the reins here. Right. So, yeah, so my article was published at the end of August. Essentially, I was just kind of outlining what the NFL could do to avoid a situation uh, like what they currently have. So uh, in this situation, the NFL decided to go ahead with their season with no alterations. Mm -hmm. They were just going to say, you know what, the only thing that we're going to have is we're going to have limited fans uh, they didn't do any sort of rescheduling like the MLB did. Re- no realignment of the of the of the schedules to like limit travel, and even that proved to be in- ineffective for the MLB. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, no, you know, like hotel, like any of that. None of that. They had you know their pro- their protocols in place just in case something went wrong. Uh, but you know that's they legally have to like say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we have the and we have we have the NFL. With one with one team that has had a, a complete breakout of sixteen cases, and then we've had the New England Patriots have their star quarterback go down uh, as well. What I said was, is the NFL needed to do a bubble because the MLB failed. If you remember, the Phillies and Marlins and Cardinals, the Yankees and the O's, and then it was the Cardinals and yeah. the Cubs, and basically six six different teams ended up getting uh screwed over by they did. scheduling they did the, just by scheduling you're right yeah. not all those teams had cases it was just the whole scheduling situation i think every single team at some point had to play seven inning double headers because of a COVID outbreak. of course um the nfl cannot afford to you know they can't do that mlb has a little bit more leeway and be in the in the ability to make up games the nfl has no leeway which means that they have a very small room uh they have a very small margin for error they are extremely lucky, so extremely lucky that the Titans and Steelers happen to have the same bye week mm-hmm. and that they can just reschedule that game for their for their shared bye week and make this their bye week. But if this had been another team, like if, if, there, if there had not been some scheduling alignment that would have not allowed the Titans and Steelers, like the Titans to reschedule their game to another week and not have it interfere with other, you know, other schedules and cause a domino effect. Mm-hmm. The NFL would really be caught with their pants down and their hands and their hands in the air. Yeah. What I suggested was that the NFL move into a bubble based on schedules. So my prime example was the AFC East, which is the division of Patriots plan. They primarily are going to be playing the NFC West. So the Patriots are going to play every single team in the NFC West, like the Seahawks and the 49ers, um, you know, X, Y, and Z. If you had put those two divisions in a bubble, you can get 10 games off without having to travel whatsoever. If you put those teams in a bubble in New York and New Jersey, you have the ability to play at MedLife Stadium, which is already a neutral site. You have the ability to play at Ivy League schools and uh, and Princeton, Big Ten schools like Rutgers, uh, and then possibly even make a trip up to, to Gillette if you needed to. Mm. You could also play at Yale, you know, potentially. Yeah. Dartmouth, too. Exactly. There were fields around. Well, Dartmouth's really up towards New Hampshire. That, that's pretty far away. But regardless, bubble system, however it exactly. is, the, the you could have kept the teams in closer contingency, so you didn't have to worry about teams traveling. No, you know, no restrictions. And now, 
they didn't they decided not to do that they decided to go ahead and have no travel restrictions it was going to be 100% you know you were flying basically on your charter flights staying in the team hotel and then going back but in between where practice was happening and games you had no idea where your players were. Mm-hmm. They could be out doing basically whatever they want. Of course, there were suggestions to say, it's not advised that you go out and go to... Re-. Like, Of course, they're going to have those protocols in place, but that doesn't guarantee anything. The reason why the NBA bubble and NHL bubbles were so successful was because they had extra activities around them. The NBA players, they put them all in Disney, a resort. So when those guys weren't playing basketball, they were golfing at Disney. They were at the pool. They were at the beach. They were playing volleyball. They were, you know, they were taking nice walks amongst around the ESPN campus at Walt Disney World. Obviously, the dimensions of a basketball court, it's a lot easier to fit, you know, multiple courts in like a multiple a courts in a, in a ballroom. Right? Yeah. Because that's what that's what they did. They decided to put uh, courts and they converted those ballrooms into, into practice courts. Yeah. And the teams would share practice courts. So now what the NFL has is they should take this outbreak that the te- that the Titans have as a warning because you're not going to get the same gift of a of a of a bi- of a shared bye week to reschedule games. You are going to need to get ahead of this problem now to avoid further problems. And piggybacking off of your point, now with even just even just with Cam Newton, thankfully they were able to uh the Patriots and Chiefs were able to schedule to reschedule to today, but now they're also in a hole, and this might happen uh, in the future. Like you said, teams happen, happen to have the same bye week as lucky uh, as anything. But now there's an issue with the Pats and Chiefs. Uh, I don't know. If, I think it's the Chiefs. Yeah, the Chiefs they, have to play they, three, games, three in games in 10 days. 10 days. They're playing today on Monday. They're playing next week, Sunday uh, against Oakland. And then they got to travel across the country to Buffalo for a Thursday night short week game. It's it, it, it's hard enough to get NBA teams to play back-to-back games uh, in general, it's hard enough to get players to even buy into the fact that, that Thursday night football is a thing. Now you got to play ten, uh, three games in ten days. It's it's next to impossible if, if it has to keep going. Not to mention the fact that for those of you who don't know, the way the NFL is structured and and how how lucrative of a, of a business it is, TV contracts. It's impossible to possibly get these games. Granted, it's it'll probably be easier for for like CBS to cancel their primetime television if it means a, a Wednesday night football game. But th- still, there's sacrifices that have to be made from these networks, and, w- and with these lucrative contract deals, th- it almost seems like the, M- the NFL could be limited to a degree to just Thursday, Monday, and uh, Sundays, considering Saturday is, right. is all for college football. I would my my big thing right now for the NFL is that they need to move into a bubble system. Absolutely, you cannot you cannot sit back. Roger Goodell and his team cannot sit back and be like, "Whoa, we really dodged a bullet with this one, guys." Only one team had an outbreak. No. One team had an outbreak. That's one team too many. Okay? You could have zero team outbreaks. Point in case, case in point, the National Basketball Association. But uh, no team outbreaks. The problem is though is that and this is just the, this is j- 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 the fact of the matter. We're we're a quarter of the way into the year already. So we so now it's almost as if they're going to have to implement a playoff bubble just like what the MLB is doing. But even then, is it is it almost too late? Uh, I would. I, I have no idea. By the way, New England is driving as right now. As you simultaneously watch the Chiefs-Pats game. Yeah, New England is driving right now. It's about 25 seconds left in the second quarter. New England's in field goal range. It looks like they're going to try to clock it, get one play at the end zone, and then kick a field goal to tie the game. Who's starting for the Pats? Ryan Hoyer. Okay. His first career Patriots start. That's what I, he's been that, the backup. That's what I he's been the backup to Tom Brady since like 2008. Left to go start for the Browns and Niners and Colts. 
And now, now he's, he's looking back. for the end zone. Oh, he's going to get sacked. Okay, anyway, so, so now the question mark now remains, are they going to end up going towards a playoff bubble? Probably, hopefully, where, where it's going to be, I don't really know. Especially considering most of the major hubs, like uh, unlike where the uh, where the MLB bubbles are being played in Chavez Ravine and out east, it's it, it's so hard to get a bubble system where you have a fifty fifty three man roster, assistant coaches, practice squad players, uh, yeah. per, TV personnel. The the fact of the matter is, and you and I were talking about this uh, earlier during the what what was going to be the yeah the pre tape was that the there's so many bodies on an NFL field. Whether it be camera crews, you have the voice crews, you have photographers, you have... It isn't like the MLB where, where on the field at one time you'll only have the nine players, three refer, uh, three umpires, and the opposing batter. And or uh, three other base runners. Exactly. You have a hundred people on a field at once. Now imagine booking hotels, getting them, in, getting them into a certain bubble area. Now granted, some places are possible to do it, whether it be LA or Texas, where they have a multitude of fields, places, and yeah. everything else. But that also leads into the question you were saying: colleges. What's go, what's going to happen if you right. have, if you if, if, if with a bubble in Texas, Texas Tech, A uh, and M, uh, mm-hmm. Texas Austin have to now share fields with their uh, right. with their NFL counterparts. So I said that this is this could be a great opportunity for the NFL and the NCAA to to just kind of build on their relationship right now. The NFL has the ability. To who are, the NFL, by the way, they have a they have a good relationship with the NCAA. It's yeah. not like it's not like the NBA where they are where they're struggling with the one and done right now. The NFL is the only uh, major sports from league that actually requires players to go to college before they can go pro for more than three years. Well, you, you have three to years, three yeah. years, three years to up to up to four years. You have to go to college for three years before you are eligible for the NFL draft. That is a that is a rule. Yeah. In the NBA, you can go to college for a year, which means that you can kind of blow off classes, you know, for your semester and uh and and, and then get drafted as we have seen with Zion mm-hmm. and we've seen in many, many cases with one and done rules. Yeah. MLB you can get drafted straight out of high school. Don't even have to go to college. Which same, is, which is a whole other argument that I have uh against MLB, but same with the NHL. The NHL has got, a, has got a great system, though, where you can draft players and then they can go to college and they use college kind of as their developmental league. The NHL is, is hard, though, to just pull the sidebar because it's an international league that, that, that it's harder to get kids from like Russia and the Ukraine. Yep, let's, let's, stay on point. Regardless, yes. let's stay on topic here. What the NFL can do is the NFL can go to North Carolina where they have fields like where they can go to they can go to the Carolinas where they have South Carolina State. They have South Carolina. You have North Carolina. You have Clemson, Duke, Duke. you know. NFL-ready facilities, should they need them, ready to go. Not to mention the Panthers have their stadium in Carolina. So you can have an NFL bubble there and play play it in a multitude of NFL-ready fields. You can also have a bubble, as you mentioned, in Texas, where you can play in Dallas, Houston, Texas Tech, Texas A&M. Long TCU, the, 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 yeah. There's so many, and then and then Texas State, like there's literally even like L.A., USC, the Coliseum, UCLA, right? Uh, SoFi Stadium. You can even play in Oakland, San Francisco area as well. There, there are areas where the NFL can pull off a multiple bubbles based on schedule or based on division, and only have to travel when you play teams outside of your bubble, which would be less than four or five times. But again, it's it, it's we're a quarter of the way through. It's almost too hard. But if it's it can be pulled off though. Yes, the, the 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 planning is going to be day and night for about a week. But if the NCAA 
and colleges are willing to work with the NFL, this could be really a really smooth transition. I would I could say I could confidently say that if you give it two weeks from this Monday right now that we are recording the show, they could be in a bubble by the time that we do our next next show. So here's my only concern with this. And again, we talked about it during the pre-tape uh, rip. So the so the problem that I have, and this is a problem at, in all college campuses, is the fact that, of course, COVID's still a thing. COVID going to the student population. Granted, so far in college football, we haven't seen that. And we also have stadiums that are having fans, season ticket holders. My friend uh, was at the Florida Gators game. They had 21,000 people there uh, in general. So could it be, and this this is the only way that I find that, that, that it won't work, is that if you were to bring NFL teams to a quote-unquote bubble, most likely off-campus, they can't be staying on-campus, but if you bring players to like Clemson, you need to now share facilities with these teams. Practice times are different. You have to go, uh, go about student schedules, figuring out whether or not NFL players are going to be prima donnas, and instead of practicing from, from 8 a.m. To, to 12 when they're able to, they're going to be like, nah, we, we want to have the 2 p.m. to 4, when in reality, Dabo Sweeney is going to be like, hell no, because that's, that's when my team's practicing. So who's going to make the sacrifice here? Is it going to be the, N- the, N- the NCAA or the NFL? And not to mention, of course, if a player does happen to be doing whatever nightlife in North Carolina or Texas or L.A., and they happen to get COVID, next thing you know, all of all of Clemson University, for example, might might have a COVID outbreak. And then next thing you know, the college campus scene goes to right expletive. Like of course, of course, you of course there is that risk that you would have to assume. You know, yeah, and. I think that there is the ability for the NFL to be able to pull that kind of thing off. So if the the NFL has to work around the NCAA schedule, of course, because a the college, you know, college students have their practice times already set up the NFL. This is their job. You can you know, you don't have to worry about going to class after practice. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So in the NFL, you can schedule your practices around the college practices. And then have your film and your, you know, your workouts, um, amongst other things. There's, there's opportunity there. I'm just concerned about the the idea that that we have NFL we have, we have NFL players that hold out because of contracts. I feel like the same thing would happen if they were prima donnas and said that that they didn't want to work out at, at nine in the morning. That they want to do it at one o'clock. I mean, uh, th- that, that that could be a case. Th- that's the only real concern. Whether, I, whether or not it's up to it's up to Goodell to say suck it up and play. I, I, and I deal with it. I think that that needs to be the case because if you look at the situation right now, the NFL doesn't have the ability to afford to mi- have teams miss games yeah. like what is happening currently with New England and Kansas City. Kansas City now is in the really tough situation where they have to play ten games or ten days. They have 10 days to play three games, okay? That is a scheduling mishap that the NFL cannot afford to do again. At the end of this 10-day stretch, Kansas City is going to have played almost 25% of their season. And this is a a three-month season. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, that is... That is just absolutely ridiculous. You cannot afford to miss games in the MLB. You can you can play seven inning doubleheaders and and at least pretend like that that counts towards the MLB record book. Yeah. But in the NFL, you're not playing two games in three days. And of course, the, the alternate issue now is too is where the MLB determined their, their playoff system based on win percentage rather than your overall record because of the fact that teams were playing fifty four game seasons versus uh, sixty. 
You can't have teams not play NFL football games. They have to get all all games in because it would be ludicrous to have a team like, let's just say, the New England Patriots end up having a better winning percentage than the Buffalo Bills, but the Bills win two more games and and the Pats can't play a game because of COVID and they get in the playoffs over Buffalo. It's almost ludicrous to think that because the NFL, it can't operate that way. Same thing with the NBA. You almost can't have a situation where where a, a team gets in just solely based on win percentage. Because Are you talking all, about the playoffs? Yeah. Well, like, well sample size-wise, think about it. You, you, there's 17 weeks of football. Right. Really, there's only 16 games played. Mm-hmm. You have 60 games for an MLB season. The fact that that the Marlins made the playoffs because they had a better win percentage than most of the other most of the other teams in the National League, however, they played ten less games. I I feel like like the same can't happen in the NFL. Right. Well, you're not shortening games in the NFL. Well, the problem is going to be you're you're going to have to either overplay your players mm-hmm. in terms of having those three games in ten days situations multiple times if this breaks out further, or you just 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 don't play a game. And next thing you know, we we have teams playing. 15 games rather than 16 or 14 yeah. rather than 16. Well, I, I think that there's definitely right now the, the, the ending of my article, which by the way, everyone go read that. I thought it was a solid article and it, it needs, it needs a little bit of work. It's not great, but it, it was a solid art. The point was there. Roger Goodell has had a tenure as NFL commissioner that has just been swamped in controversy. Yeah. Suspended players, not suspended players, the flate gate, spy gate, bridge gate, Watergate, you name it. Everything. (laughs) It seems to all fall on the fault of Roger Goodell in one way or another. This was something he couldn't screw up. And if he did screw it up like he is currently doing, it's the end of his time as the NFL commissioner. Mm -hmm. And I think that Rob Manfred is is in the same boat. Rob Manfred has had a 10-year surrounding controversy as well. He cannot figure out a way to expand the Major League Baseball field. He can't figure out a way to get the age group to go down. He can't figure out a way to expand the playoffs with everyone being happy. He can't figure out a way to keep his teams in a bubble. So is, so is this you saying that if Roger Goodell cannot figure it out this year, he might be, I guess, on the hot seat, even though he, he has to get fired because of the owners? I would definitely say that this could be the beginning of the end for Roger Goodell. At the end of the day, the NFL is the most lucrative sports league in the world. Anyone could run it. Anybody could run it. Anything could happen. They have the money right. to, they have the money to buy out any college, any facility, any place in the nation to do it. Hell, you can move the freaking league to the lead to Europe. The NFL and, and they'll make it work. The NFL is so successful that the fans will just say, Yay, football. Exactly. And it does not matter whose face is on it we got to take a short break. We're going to get more into this with Brady in the second hour of the show, but we do need to take a break so that we can, uh, you know, catch up and, you know, catch our breath. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the MLB. And who do you need to pick up in fantasy football? Because we all know with the injury bug, anything is possible. You're listening to 98.1 WQAQ, the soundtrack of Quinnipiac. Listen. First the fat boys break up. Now every day I wake up. Somebody got a problem with hope. We have brand new reports surfacing not that long ago, like five minutes ago. Brand new report, as reported by... Jim Nance, 
of oh. uh, CBS Sports, who is on the broadcast currently. The Patriots just received the second half kickoff. Cam Newton is asymptomatic. Well, he could still be a carrier of COVID. Of course, he could still be a carrier of COVID. But him being asymptomatic kind of raises the questions again of a false positive because no one else in the Patriots organization tested positive. Well, being a- being asymptomatic does mean you have COVID. It's just you aren't showing symptoms. Of, of course. It. So, so <clears throat> whether or not it's a false positive or not is to be seen. But but if we can, if we can, can conclude that he has that he uh, he has COVID and it's asymptomatic, then it's still it still should be monitored. Of course, of course, he should still be monitored. However. You know, and I'm assuming Cam's probably taken more than one test by now. Yeah. But if he's asymptomatic, no one else on the Patriots has COVID. And of course you have to take the precaution. you gotta be you gotta take every precaution. It just kind of raises the question of does he really have it or not? And of course you're gonna like say, you know, you're of course you're gonna like just, you know, take it easy in these yeah. situations and, and just play it safe, which they should. You know, as someone who is a firm believer in, in wearing masks and socially distancing and, and sanitizing and, and things of that nature. It, it I do want the Patriots to take this very seriously, mm-hmm. but I also want to make sure that he's OK. And of that course. if no one else in the organization has tested positive, because Cam Newton shares the ball with his teammates by passing it, by handing it off. By standing in the huddle and talking to his guys at less than six feet radius. Getting the ball from the center every single down. Exactly. Like also it just, neck and neck with all of his other offensive line mates plus the defensive line. Like it just raises the question of, you know, if he really has it. It's a conspiracy. I get it. It doesn't really matter. And, and this time. You know what's the more interesting question? Uh, I've been reading all these articles about oh, Tennessee's uh, rate keeps, keeps climbing and with Cam Newton. How did these players get COVID? Well, there's been no confirmation, no contact tracing about how these players got it. We don't, yeah. really, we don't really have an idea. So, well, so could well, we have a conspiracy theory? What we had in the MLB, remember, was we had guys ratting on each other. Yeah. Like, if you remember, like, someone on the Cardinals or someone on the Pirates, I think, ratted on the Cardinals for going out to a casino, yeah. which is where they all got coronavirus. You know, so I think that there's definitely going to be some of that going on. Like, if, like uh, so far, we haven't heard anything, and Barstool is probably going to be like, or TMZ is going to be like the, the news source that breaks this kind of thing, right? Because yeah. it always seems to be them with these controversial news stories. That's going to be like, oh, we saw Cam Newton at, uh, at um, you know, at, at Bouncy the, Bottoms. At the uh, club getting getting the wings, like Ex- Lou Will. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But, but hey, look, you know what? Whatever it is, we just hope that this, is, this doesn't lead to anything bigger, but... Other news in the NFL, because we, we basically just spent the first right. half hour just chatting about, about COVID. But before we do, hang on. Oh, yeah, of course. What do you got for me? This, this past week, I went to work oh, on Jack. enhancing the show. Oh, what is this? We have new hotkeys, baby. Okay, and I so, kind of want to preview them because I have, to for, I have to remember that they're here. So we have a bunch of good, really like really good ones. Uh, okay. Um, I want to hear but, some of them. Do you have any that, 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 that if I was to like report something right now, you could like like have reaction for it? Like, like, okay, so go ahead, just give me something, and I'll try to find the hockey for it. All right, so my big problem that, I, that, that across, across the NFL is in the, primarily in the NFC East. So all four teams, the Washington football team, the Eagles, the Giants, and the Cowboys, they all suck. <laughs> and honestly, the Giants season is, is becoming more and more like that. Mario is getting beat up by the Goombas, like the uh, those like little brown mushroom looking things. But how it, great is that? It, <laughs> it seems like every single week the Giants manage to do something to screw themselves. And this week it was Daniel Jones throwing throwing a, uh, a uninherited pass uh, right to the Rams cornerback to 
sealed the game with fit with like 55 seconds remaining when he could have easily ran over 20 yards or, or so. But but the big problem across the NFC is there are three wins and 14 losses across the NFC East. The Eagles have a have 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 a receiving issue where everyone's hurt. They're they're relying on Miles Sanders and Boston Scott to run the ball 45 times. Carson Wentz is a shadow of himself at this point. The the Giants are the Giants, and it's mostly mostly comes down to the uh, the management side. Considering the defense held one of the highest scoring offenses in football in the, in the LA Rams, only 19 points could have been even less if it wasn't for a a bum coverage with Cooper Cup. The Cowboys, outside of their one win where the Falcons couldn't hold a lead, which is the most ludicrous thing on the planet, considering they can't hold a lead since they lost to the Pats in the Super Bowl, the Cowboys have been underwhelming. They've lost uh, to the Browns. And then the Washington football team, they got to find a new name before they can even figure out how to win games. Wait, is that like the um, like the cartoons of kids and the adults, like, the, they can't actually speak? That's the Charlie Brown teacher. Yes. Okay. That's so, you right now. Yes. Wah, 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 wah. Yes. That, that, that's literally what I sound like just ranting. I. So here's the argument. The pro- <laughs> I can have so much fun with this. <laughs> the problem with the NFC East, and this is the problem that happened in 2015 in the NFL, is we are seeing, and this this could even this could even go across the NFL. We're starting to lose parity in the league. Every, there's two teams that are way ahead that are three uh, that, that are three and one, four and zero, oh, and then you have teams that, at the bottom that are oh, that are zero oh and four, one and three, and teams that almost seem to already be in the abyss before a quarter of the season is even there. For example, we see it in the AFC East: the Bills are four and zero, oh, the Pats are three and one, and then then the Dolphins and Jets are basically just scratching at, at each other, hoping to I'm God. I'm to tell you right now. We don't care. I'm just having fun. Nah, you're ruining the point. <laughs> I so, will. All right. So the NFC. There's no parity in the league. Please. Yes. The, elaborate. N- the NFC East is is a shell of the rest of the NFL. Of course. What we have right now is we have a team through four weeks that with one win that is in first place. Pretty, uh, pretty, pretty bad. And. What's even worse is, and I, and I was going through every team's schedule, and I think the Cowboys are going to end up winning the division. But the problem is, the Cowboys might might win the division at six and ten. Yeah, it, after going through the through the entire schedule, what, the way I see it is that that they're going to take two games to Washington. So that's three wins. They might split against the Giants and Eagles. I think think that they might win two games there, and they're out they're out they're out of outer division schedule. They might be the Vikings. I don't know if they will. They might be at the Cardinals. Don't know if they will. They'll probably end up beating the Bengals unless Joe Burrow right. can, can put on a, a show. This team could win six, seven games and make, and make the playoffs. We've seen this before, though. We've seen this with Carolina. I believe Carolina was like six and ten, and they made the they made the uh, playoffs as a wild card team a few years back. Wasn't the worst team to ever make it the Seahawks when they went seven and nine? Something like that. I know that the Panthers made it with an under 500 record. I will a few look years it up back. for you. And I would say look at the Carolina Panthers from like 2013 to like present day because in one of those seasons, they made the playoffs as a sub 500 team. Um, what I believe is the problem right now with the NFC East in particular is the fact that you have teams that have high expectations and low glory. And the Dallas Cowboys, you have a loud owner. Not allowed, not a loud team mm-hmm. because, you know, you have all kinds of expectations coming from the owner's box. Jerry Jones, one of the more vocal owners in the NFL, you know, well-known friend of the president, you know, well-known mm-hmm. stance on, you know, where you should be for the national anthem kind yeah. of situation. 
kind of takes away from the effect of what those guys can do on the field. You have a top 10 running back in the league. You have a top five quarterback when he's at, when he's on his a game, top and five, a line, top like, five, it's like, endless. They, yeah, they have a great team on paper, but the, the distractions coming outside that, coming outside that locker room, prevent that team from being mm-hmm. what it could be. And it could also be a matter of the coaching staff. I don't really know what exactly it is, yep. whether it be Mike McCarthy or let me, let so me, on. let me oh, keep sorry, going here because you know, we got, we got, we're unfortunately we're on a time restraint yeah. uh, in Philadelphia. You have another situation where you have a very high expectation, a high ceiling quarterback who has been underperforming and with no wide receivers to boot. Yes, that is true. But you're also hanging on to glory. Right yeah. there. We talk about all the time the Super Bowl hangover. We also talk about the um the holding on to glory situation. You know, so like it, we talk about that mostly with, with baseball. You know, we see constantly we see teams win a World Series and then they just falter because they hold on to glory for too long. They hold on to their players for too long. They become old and the Red Sox. they get overpaid. It happened not really with the Red Sox. My big my big um example is gonna be Kansas City. They held on to Eric Hosmer too long. They held on to Moose for too long. They held on to Alex Gordon for too long. Like they could have traded those guys a year after they didn't make mm-hmm. the playoffs, rebuilt their farm system, um, and and been in the playoffs today. But they held on to those guys for way too long, and now they have no farm system. Yeah, that's kind of what the Eagles have. The Eagles, like they held on to that glory for a little too long. You know, maybe should have moved on from Carson Wentz. Didn't. Now they have to find a spot where they drafted a quarterback in the first round, not really knowing where they were going to go with. Wentz's future don't have receivers defense is a shell of what it used to be while still being okay not to mention you have Doug Peterson who really had a had a win in Cincinnati against Cincinnati a few weeks ago uh, and then you have the Giants the G-men who are still trying to find their footing under a second year quarterback as well as a new coach let's not even get get into them they're a whole other can of worms of course um and am, am I missing a team yeah, the, the Washington football team. Washington football who, who team. Is, we don't even have to explain yeah. what's wrong with Washington. So the, they the, the problems that they are having in the NFC East are just problems that you don't see in any other franchise right now. Maybe in Cleveland a few years ago, but even then, Cleveland's now three and one. And yeah, now they seem to have combined their problems. But and look, I don't know if it's just a matter of. Uh, unluckiness, but Dak Prescott's putting up historic numbers, and yet it's being totally out- overshadowed. Their by the, defense by the just that, isn't that, that, that yeah, isn't anything. That 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 the defense isn't getting it done. Crucial third down here for New England, by the way. At the end of the day, all these teams do do need to rebuild. My big point here was that the Cowboys are probably going to end up making the playoffs as the worst team ever at six uh, six wins, seven wins, worse than Seattle in, in twenty ten. Uh, that, that was seven and nine in twenty fourteen. The, Pan- the Panthers were seven, eight, and one. So moving on though in the NFL, I have one other topic topic that, that I want to bring up, and this is uh, it's going to hit going to hit close to home to you. So Tom Brady had a historic com- historic I guess you can call it comeback through five touchdowns and a comeback win over the Chargers, and for three weeks there was there was a concern about whether Tom Brady is really a product of Bill Belichick or is it just gonna, or is it going to take time for him to figure it out? Now the the Buccaneers haven't been. Um, again, have been a shell of what they really could be, considering Gronk was announced as more of a blocker than anything else. Leonard Fournette uh, has gone under the radar. Ronald Jones ha- has underperformed relatively until last week. And then Mike Evans and Chris Godwin have, have been battling the injury bug. But with Tom Brady's five touchdowns, do we think that maybe he's figured it out? Um, No. No, not yet. Not, I, not, not even against a good Chargers defense. Look, the Chargers... 
do they have a solid defense? Yeah, they have, you know, Joey Bosa, you know, but, you know, when we look at the Chargers, we 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 look at the fact that Justin Herbert also put up really good numbers. Oh, yeah. Without Austin Eckler, too. The boot. Right. Tom Brady, we all know what he's capable of. We all know that he is capable of those couple of games where he can outperform any quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But we still see Tom Brady overthrowing guys on out routes. We still see Tom Brady not able to hook up with Gronk on crucial downs like we like it was late in, in Gronk's career with New England. What I am what I am going to credit this to is very, very talented receivers in Chris Godwin. Well, Godwin was out and Evans didn't. Or no, sorry, Mike Evans. Mike Evans. Mike Evans caught a touchdown mm-hmm. for over hundred yards. And uh also the the Miller. Scotty Miller. Scotty Miller. We're going to talk about Scotty Miller in a bit. Scotty Miller, who's who's on your who's on your uh, players to watch in fantasy football. Oh yeah. Uh, so so I think that right now you still have Brady, who has more weapons than he's had in New England in the past few years, and now he's able to put that kind of stuff together. He's still trying to click with his new teammates. You know, when when Brady was under pressure and he couldn't find um and he couldn't find outlets, he couldn't find ways to get the offense going. He always always had Julian Edelman. He always had a good running back, Deion Lewis, James White, LeGarrette Blunt. He always had ways to just kind of get out of situations. Now he's got to try to figure that all out again. At yeah. 43 years old, you know, he's he's closer to the end than he is to the beginning. So at, you know, for him, you know, you wonder like, ah, does he really really want to learn a whole new offensive playbook? Mm-hmm. You know, like he sees it as a challenge. And he loves challenges. Or does he see this as, as a retirement party down at Tampa Bay? A lot of people think that. I think that that was, you know, that was like 25% of his motivation to go to Florida. But I also think that the rest of it was the fact that Bruce Arians is a great quarterbacking coach. Um, they have a great offense just without Brady, you know, with Godwin, with Evans, you know, O.J. Howard. Gronk, Howard, right. Jones. They had, they had, yeah, they had a great offense just without Brady, so he had an opportunity to really, like, shine there. Yeah. They needed a quarterback that wasn't going to throw 30 picks like James Winston did. <laughs> and yet here we are. So, uh, so actually, this is, gonna, this is going to segue really good because you brought up Scotty Miller. So, uh, my, so one Steve, of the, we need to get a sound for this. I wish we had a sound for this, but we don't. I so. wish we did. I mean, I can play up. I, I can play us a little uh, a little song in the background. I but. mean, like I have like so, a cool. So here, so here's the Steve's wire picks of the week. <laughs> yeah, sure. So my fantasy fantasy football waiver wire picks of the week in week five coming up. So one of the big things that's been challenging the entire league has been the injury bug. Of course, we talked about it in week in week two that basically half the league was getting hurt, but. Four players that you should be looking out for. First of all, a quarterback. If you're looking, if you're looking to upgrade, I know I am. Justin Herbert. He's only rostered in in 11.7 percent of leagues. The man's been on a tear in the in the two weeks that he's been uh, instead of Tyrod Taylor's punctured lung, he's managed to record 20 points in, in both outings against good, solid defenses. And most of that came through Austin Eckler, who who was a bit who was a major target uh, in the run game as well as the passing game. But Justin Herbert's been managing, and now with Austin Eckler out, he's going to have even more opportunities with the second guy who I think you should be looking at uh, in fantasy, Joshua Kelly. Joshua Kelly is rostered in 56% of leagues, mostly because he is, is the handcuff to Austin Eckler. But Kelly now, now has a huge opportunity. Eckler, Eckler's going to be out for, I think, three to four weeks with a, uh, with a grade two ankle sprain. And now Joshua Kelly is going, to ha- is going to have a chance to be both a pass-catching back, 
as well as a huge factor in the run game. And at the end of the day, Anthony Lynn, former uh, former running back in the NFL, loves overusing his running back. So look for Joshua Kelly if he if he is available. Jack bought him up. I'm going to reaffirm it. Scotty Miller, Jack. What? Who are the two players that for the last 12 years in Tampa, in uh, in New England? that Tom Brady absolutely love at receiver. Two, I can name you four. All right, well, there are two guys in particular. Edelman and Welker. Edelman and, but and Wes Welker. you can Welker. add Amendola and Chris Hogan. Perfect. Well, Chris Hogan was, was more, of, more of an outside threat. Regardless, three slot receivers who were always the safety valve. Usually you think of tight ends as your valve. Tom Brady loved the slant route. What is Scotty Miller? A short, five foot seven, medium build, quick on his feet slot receiver, who over the last who over the last three weeks has recorded ten plus fantasy points and is averaging five receptions five receptions a game, including a touchdown this past weekend. I think Scotty Miller is the best fantasy football pickup. I have him. He's probably going to be be my, my flex play for the next three weeks. Whatever it is, Scotty Miller only rostered in eleven percent of leagues. Finally, Chase Edmonds. He's rostered in, in a quarter of leagues. I think what's interesting though though about Chase Edmonds is the fact that Kenyon Drake who outside of the miracle in Miami three years ago uh, as a Miami uh, running back has really been ineffective almost in Arizona under Cliff Kingsbury. He's been a real, he's been a real disappointment. And Cliff Kingsbury said uh, in camp that Chase Edmonds has quote unquote running back one potential, meaning that, that he could very well be a starter in the near future. And Kenyon Drake's only averaging 13 points per game so far in fantasy. If he ends up keep on, keep, if he keeps on taking a drop off in production, Chase Edmonds very well could could get the ball not only as just a larger clip, but Kenyon Drake might get benched. So, you good? Yeah, I'm all set. That was great, by the way. Thank Everyone, you. take that advice because no one is still using their same roster. And with that, with the injuries and the COVIDs, no no draft has worked for anybody. No draft has worked. You. I guarantee. You. Saquon Barkley going down was really all you Cole needed. Colin Sutton going oh. down. Nick Chubb's out for six weeks. And Jack did freaking Poyer just fumble the ball on oh. the goal line? <laughs> He did. Welcome to welcome to the life of being a Giants fan. Uh-huh. Th- that's the most Giants thing possible. Okay. Okay. Um, we got to get into the blitz for six. Yeah. So what do you say? Hey, wait, 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 wait. Oh, wait. here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Know, Give me know, two seconds. I haven't done this in a long time. D- doing these live shows now are are, are going to be tough. Ready, 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 ready. Okay. Here it is. Dun dun dun. Oh, it was really quiet. It's very quiet. Here we go. Ready? Anyways. All right, Jack. Dun, so, dun, dun. Perfect. So the what's for six. Rumors are swirling around the UFC and pro boxing. We don't know if it's confirmed. We, we As of right now, it's a quote-unquote confirmed rumor. Conor McGregor, Manny Pacquiao, Fight Island, and Abu Dhabi. What do you think? Um, I'm not a UFC guy, so I really don't know what to think. But, you, but like, like we, we saw McGregor uh, Mayweather. We did. McGregor, Pacquiao. I, I honestly thought that this had already happened. But Pacquiao, his last... Like, I remember his last huge fight was against, what, Khabib? Khabib? No, that, that was McGregor against Khabib uh, Nagramagov. Something like that. Well, I'm not a big UFC guy, so really uh, not up, not on my alley. But also in, in the women's side of things, Holly Holm upset Alonda, uh, uh, upset Irene Alonda. Aldana. Aldana by unanimous decision to win Fight Island in Abu Dhabi as well. And she's back up in the world rankings. So in the world of NASCAR, Matt Schreiber's been getting me into NASCAR recently. Shout out so, Matt Schreiber. So I sat on my uh, I sat on his couch tuning in. Talladega this weekend. Denny Hamlin took home the win, fifth to first on a wild crash on the last lap. Thirteen cautions. That was the most in a race since two years ago at Darlington. And Monday Night Football is happening as we speak. The New England Patriots 
as you guys know, are in the second half right now. I just mentioned how Brian Hoyer fumbled on inside the 10-yard line. Just, oh, absolutely. Score update? That's 6-3 Kansas City. Sounds good. Would you have pick, picked this game to be under under 10 points? Absolutely not. But if, but if I'm a fantasy football manager, I'm thanking God. That's I didn't start Travis Kelsey this week. Yep. I benched Travis Kelsey for Gronk, actually. Wow. Okay. That was a, yeah, it was a huge play on my part. Um, fa- uh, so, yeah, Monday Night Football is happening as we speak right now. Uh, the second game of the evening is Packers-Falcons. I do not have a score update for you on that. But the Pats and Chiefs is really a story of the week because that game had to be moved from Sunday to Monday. Once again, three games, 10 days. And it, it just just an absolute travesty for the NFL. As a league that needs to really like figure out a lot of different issues, this is just kind of some added stuff on top. You know, this was a great first, first top hour. It was. It was, we, it was a good time. We have about six minutes until Brady's going to call us. Um, do we want to... Maybe do like a little winners and losers. Absolutely, I would love to. So, uh, do we? All right. You know I, what? I have a winner and a loser. I, do, uh, I think I do too. Let's do winners first. So my my winner is Ron Rivera. I I bought him up, I bought him up in week one. He announced he has three more weeks of chemotherapy and he's going to coach through it. The That's guy said crazy. he's going to be on the sideline the next three weeks. Now, granted, look, we have a COVID outbreak in the NFL. This man has lympho- what leukemia, lymphoma, leukemia, I think. Yeah. And this man is going to battle through it. During the most heaviest stages of chemo and coach an NFL football Not team? to mention in the middle of a pandemic. Absolutely incredible. Uh, huge shout out to him. That's, uh, that's terrific. Yeah. Absolutely great for him. I have to think of a winner. Oh, you don't have one yet? Well, you know, I wasn't really, you know, I put myself on the spot by saying we were going to do this segment. My winner of the week, you know what? The San Diego Padres. Uh, Just an again. absolute wagon, dude. Okay. Fernando Tatis Jr., if you put... These players, Mike Trout, Fernando Tatis, and you put them in the East, you know, it doesn't really matter which team they were on. As long as they were in the East and they were playing at 7 o'clock mm-hmm. our time, yeah. they would be the biggest stars in sports. Of course. But you have, you know, Tom Brady on the East Coast and you have Pat Mahomes on the, on the you know, day, daytime games, which takes away the fact that guys on the East Coast aren't staying up to watch Anaheim Angels baseball at 12 in the morning. Of course. The San Diego Padres, they came back uh, to beat the St. Louis Cardinals to move on to the second round of the playoffs, what really should be the first round of the playoffs, but uh, to move on to the divisional round, I should say, to take on the Los Angeles Dodgers. That is a tall task. We're going to chat a lot more with Brady on that one. So, losers for the week. My loser, although it it sounds like a huge winner, is honestly Jimmy Butler. Here's why. So, yeah, hear me out. So, Jimmy Butler is is the first player since the 1960s to, well, hold on. Let me let me backtrack here. He's the only player in the LeBron James era of basketball to outscore, out assist, and out rebound LeBron James in a playoff game, ever, including any of his teammates. No one's done it better than LeBron. There have been three players to put up the same similar numbers as Jimmy Butler in an NBA Finals. Here's the problem: they all lost terribly in the playoffs. So Jimmy Butler, congratulations for doing something absolutely historic. It's too bad the Lakers history, are... History's not on your side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> history's not on your side, man. <laughs> Lakers in five. I'm sorry, dog. Um, my loser of the week uh, is going to be the NFL. Ah, COVID. COVID. Dude, there's really no way to, to like... Sure, there's no ahead. way that you can tiptoe around this. Of course. I mean, this is bad. All right? We, we really punched home on this in the first half hour. They cannot continue on knowing that there's an outbreak mm-hmm. and that teams can miss games. They need to, they need to move into a bubble. I will... Personally, for no pay, 
no gain to myself other than the fact that I would gain the respect for the job market after I graduate. I will personally head up the co- the NFL COVID committee to move them into a bubble. Let's see what happens. Give me a call, Roger. Well, there you know it is. my line. Follow us on uh, Mac and Main on Twitter. You know how to contact me. Well, folks, there it is. Hour one of the Mac and Main show is in the books. We are going to be back in about three, four minutes once Brady calls us. This has been the Mac and Main show. Well, this has been the first half. This yes, has been the, the first, first half. half of the. Jeez, you know, I'm still in that that mode of. Uh, we have a show that uh, only uh, lasts uh, an hour long shows. It's it's really weird to be like, hey, from the bleachers with Dan Ball, Matt McCall is up next. <laughs> that's not that's not the case. We actually do have a show after us. Yeah, I know. At what the eleven o'clock? Yeah, it's uh, you know, I'm an ex- expert in everything, something like that. But, hey, you know what? Be sure to tune in at, at eleven o'clock. I'm kind of excited to uh, for someone new to yeah come after us. Yeah, we really who was it? So it was from the bleachers that was after us. Yeah, and now we have someone new. I mean, yeah. we'll have, we'll we'll intro them. We'll give well, them the plug. Well, hey, you know what, man? Hour one of the Mackin' Man Show is in the books. Brady Farkas. Hour number two. We're talking everything MLB, NBA, NFL. You you know it. You name it. We're talking about it. You're listening to the Mac and Main Show on 98.1 WQAQ, the soundtrack of Quinnipiac. Homegrown alligator, see you later. Gotta hit the road, gotta hit the road. The sun and change in the atmosphere, architecture, I'm familiar. I could get used to this. Buying the yellow and green Stick around and you'll see what I mean There's a mountain top That I'm dreaming of If you need me, you know where I'll be I'll be riding shotgun. Dude, that song's so good. Should we bring you on to American Idol? No, please, for the love of God, no. You know, <laughs> my first memory of the song, um, after I came home from freshman year of uh, college, I got really fat. My mom was uh, <laughs> my mom was like, you got to come to the edge and go to spin classes with me. And this was the song that they played. So, like, so- <laughs> I, I associate this song with... Uh, you know, with like getting getting going on the bikes. You want to laugh? So like, we always go like heavy like '90s rap, and like you know what? Uh, some late '90s rap. We kind of needed a little shift away from it. And, yeah, I think my mom actually just texted me. This is the I love this song. My mom texted <laughs> me. I love this song. This is, this is the number one song on my summer playlist that, that has no country uh, music yeah. on it. So I, I was like, you know what? Honestly, best song on here. Let's play it. So all right, guys, are we time. ready? It's time. It's time, guys. This is let's out, outside of having. Rick McNante, the Lake Monsters manager on the show. This is a, you know, this is right up there with it. <laughs> Brady Farkas of 96.1 WDEV, Waterbury, Vermont, is on the line right now. He's on hold. We're going to bring him in here. Uh, Brady uh, was the show programming director at 101.3 The Game at ESPN. He is, uh, he has since been, he has since had to find another position. The pandemic, unfortunately, had to force cutbacks on that station. Mm-hmm. He is joining us now, so... Brady, you on the line? Hello? Ah, jeez. Jackson, what are you doing, man? Brady, you there? Yep. He's there. There it is. Jeez, <laughs> oh, you know, it's hard. I haven't worked the phones in over <laughs> eight months, dude. It's Some of this is pretty tough. But, uh, Brady, how you doing? I'm good, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me. We're doing awesome. It's, 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 uh, it's a pleasure to, to have you. Yeah, it's great to be in here with you. So, um... So Brady Farkas uh, graduated college in 2012 from Clifton Park, New York, is a Seattle sports fan. Uh, big Griffey fanatic, right? Ooh. Huge Griffey fan. Huge. He's a, 
He's the goat, man. He's the goat. D- Griffey's the goat. Did, uh, did you own a pair of like uh, like Griffey cleats or sneakers? Like swingman stuff? Yeah, swingman stuff. Uh, I've got two pairs of Griffey <laughs> shoes now. Um, they're knockoffs, like they're <laughs> remakes. They remade them, so uh, they're not original. Um, one pair is has fallen apart, but I still keep them. And the other pair I've never worn, and they kind of are a display. So I've got them, but they're not original. Well, Brady played uh, baseball that. in college his senior year. He had a five eight four ERA. Jeez, Louise! That's a lie. That's, a lie. <laughs> That's what I found on the website. <laughs> do you, Do you guys know anything about? Do you guys ever have to work with sports information or anything? Oh, SIDs yeah. all yeah. the time. Yeah. Okay. So you know then that the SID is often instructed by the home team coach to be favorable. So how many of those runs that were listed as earned runs when I was pitching on the road were actually earned? The answer is not many. Like ball, like we'd be playing on the road, ball would go through and the third baseman's legs, they'd give it a hit and it turned into four runs and all of them should have been unearned. They all got listed as earned. So five, eight, four is illegitimate. All right, probably four eight four, but five eight four was illegitimate. Well, that was his senior year. He had a two. He had a two point one one WHIP, sixty four hits in thirty seven innings. Uh, he does a lot better in the men's league. Uh, he plays for the uh, for the uh, Vermont Expos, I believe, in the men's <laughs> South league. South Burlington Expos. The South Burlington right. Expos. Yeah, you'll see that. Um, Brady and I got to connect. That's where we actually uh, re-met this past summer. I was leaving uh, after filling in for one of my buddies. Brady came in, pitched what like seven innings of one hit ball Oof. in game Could two, have been something like that. That was good. Yeah, I I had a few good ones this summer, so it was always good. Wait, <laughs> wait, hold on. So so. It, is the men's league like slow pitch or is it like oh, it's like like a hardcore forty year old men going absolutely AWOL? No, it's real baseball. Oh, I mean, it's our like, sweet. But it's it's eighteen and up. Um <sighs> I mean there's there's a few older guys that play, but it's mostly between about eighteen and thirty. And uh yeah, we get after it on the weekends. It's not beer league, it's not softball, it's real baseball. It's so sad because like back home on Long Island, like there's like no actual like beer league baseball. It's all like slow pitch softball and like forty year old men with like with like a thirty-six packet in left field, just like hanging around. But hey, I mean, there like, is no like, such thing. There's no such thing as beer league baseball. If it's beer league, it's softball. If it's baseball, that's true. It's that's true. Well, I mean, it was it was a ton of fun to like you know uh, go to a go to one of those men's league games because I I played in high school. I played for uh, Coach Goy. I don't know if you know who that is. Um, I do. Yeah, there you go. He's on the Black Sox, which is also in the same league uh, as the South Burlington Expos. And, um, you know, I, he cut me my senior year because I was going to run track instead. Jeez. I was the fastest guy on my varsity baseball team junior year, but I was de- debating between track and uh, I was debating between track and, and baseball. And he decided my coach decided to make the choice for me. Didn't play baseball my senior year. And I always said, man, if I had one chance to just pitch against him in a men's league game, I would just go as hard as I can and just try to strike him out or something, something, yeah, something along those lines. Just throw behind them, send a message. That, exactly. Give them a little bit of chin music. I, you know, I tried to pitch in high school. I just didn't have it. You know, Brady, I'm looking at, you know, I looked up his college stats. His junior year, you were great. You had a 3-6-3 uh, three, three and 32 innings pitched. Yeah, that off. was a good year. Is that, that was a good year. Is that also a little bit inflated? Uh, no, I would say that one was closer to legitimate. But uh, it was fun, man. I got to pitch uh, uh, a lot of games in college. I got to do a lot of different things. Pitch out of the bullpen, start close uh pitch against top five team in the country a couple of different years uh got to pitch down south in florida got to pitch down south in in south carolina so when you get to do that stuff at the division three level it's, uh, it's pretty cool so brady so so i'm from long island so this so the, the suny uh 
college system is very familiar to me. So you went to Oswego State. Uh, for those of you, right. for those of you who, who don't know, Oswego is uh, up towards the farmlands of New York, not, not down by me. So, what was the uh, decision process for you when you ended up going to uh, Oswego? Were there uh, were there other SUNYs uh, in mind, or was that was just the goal to just play baseball? So the goal was to play baseball. The goal was to do journalism, and the goal was to go through the the college application process as little as possible. So, <laughs> and spend as little money as possible in the process. Facts. So, you um, Albany gave me a little bit of a look um, for baseball. Um, I really, you know, as I got older, I kind of realized it was probably more of a, you know, they wanted me to come to their camp. They wanted me to spend some money to come to the camp, but like they gave me a look initially. So I applied there, um, got in. I applied at Oneonta. It was kind of close to home. I figured I could play baseball there. I had friends that were going there, got in there, didn't get that much financial aid. I went to Oswego in the, in the summer, you know, nine months of the year, it's 20 degrees and snowing, but I happened to go. It was 72 and sunny. Um, I knew I could make the team there. They had a good journalism program, you know, good TV and radio division. I got in. I got a great financial package there. After that, it was kind of set for me. I also applied to St. John's because it was a free application, but I think I only applied to four schools. And once I went to Oswego, I knew the journalism and I knew I could play baseball. It was kind of all set in stone. Well, you, yeah, you mentioned it. You majored in journalism and after you graduated from college, worked at Norwich University in Vermont as an SID. You moved back to New York to work at the, at the ESPN radio affiliate in Schenectady. Came to the Champlain Valley in 2016 to join 101.3 ESPN at the time. It then turned into the game. You were the uh, the main host of the huddle there. And uh, just this past week, you announced your new job with WDEV. Sound about yeah, right? Yeah, very, very. Wow. Yeah, no, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty good. You know, I've got a chance to do a lot of things um, over the last couple of years. You know, that's been, you know, it's hard to believe it's been eight years since I graduated college. And uh, I did a little bit of work in sports information. Um, so I did a year at Norwich. I coached baseball there and, and did SID work. That lasted a year as an internship. Then I was in Pennsylvania. Um, I was at a Division three school there, did baseball and SID work for a couple of months, then went back to Albany, got into radio totally by accident, backed into it, got lucky. I was coaching college baseball at a junior college at the time, too. So I did that for two years and worked at the radio station at the oh, same wow. time. So I did, the, I did the radio station from 6 to 10 a.m. in the morning. And then I did college baseball coach from 10 a.m. till about 8 p.m. every night um, for a couple of months and did a bunch of recruiting in the summer. And then uh, ended up being that, that radio popped. They were kind of both going on this part-time path for a while. Radio popped first. And that's what brought me up to Burlington. And I've uh, been there for four years now in two different jobs. And, uh, you know, very excited about the new, the new chapter. So was radio always uh, like your goal or did you look towards uh, television or print first? Yeah, I mean, it, no, it wasn't my goal. I really didn't know that. I mean, I knew it existed, but I didn't know that I could do it or that I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. um, both my both my parents are newspaper journalists. They have been forever. Um, my dad was bringing home page proofs when I was younger. I was looking at looking at what the next day's paper was going to be like, trying to catch mistakes. I, I loved journalism. I knew I could talk. I wanted to be an announcer. I wanted to be a play-by-play -play guy. Then when I got to senior year of college, you know, I did. I was the college hockey announcer and basketball announcer in addition to playing baseball. And all of a sudden, I realized, like, May, like mm, February of senior year, like, you know what? The Yankees aren't calling me. So <laughs> I'm not quite sure 
where this is going to go. And then I was like, well, you got to travel a lot. You got to move around the country. Do I want to do that? So sports information was a lot safer and a lot easier. I knew a guy who worked at Norwich, so that helped me get it in there. And then when I moved back to Albany um, after sports information, I wanted to coach college baseball. And I got the job um, at Hudson Valley Community College. They paid $1,500 a year, not a month, $1,500 a year. Like I spent more on gas getting to the stadium throughout the year than I actually got paid. Jeez. And, you know, lived in my parents' basement. And they said, look, you've got to get a media job if you come home. So I reached out to the newspaper. I reached out to the TV stations and I reached out to the radio station. Radio station was the only one that got back to me. I'd never done it. I had hired to do one job from 6 to 10 a.m. and press one button to make sure that we stayed on the air. And then eventually just started um, working the system and learning more and more things. And like I said, for two years, I was kind of going on very similar paths with coaching and, and radio. And, you know, I got a good break where the guy left the radio station and he was the host of the afternoon show. So I got to fill in for four months on the afternoon show. I got to go to the Super Bowl for the first time and, uh, you know, started really kind of going off fast from them. That is, uh, that's remarkable. That's just a, that's all bucket list items. Quite the story, honestly. <laughs> well, it's fun. You know, it wasn't as fun when you were living in your parents' basement making, uh, you know, $17,000 a year and, you know, getting pizza was a, was a, was, was a big night out. You know, that wasn't as right. fun. I moved cars around, a, I moved cars around a, a parking lot, you know, at a car dealership for, for a while too. I was coaching 16 year old baseball. Like I, I was working three, four jobs at a time, but the, the radio was fun. It became fun. You know, you got to talk to, you know, the, the people I got to talk to, you know, I remember, you know, I was 24 years old and I had really never done radio and then boom all of a sudden i'm filling on the afternoon show and there you know i'm talking with adam Schefter, and you know i was going to the super bowl in san francisco it was super bowl 50 it was denver and carolina and super bowl 50 and it was like wednesday so the way it works is monday through friday at radio row monday tuesday there's there's good people there don't get me wrong but wednesday through friday is when the real home run hitters come out and on wednesday on any given side of me was was Gronk was in front of me, Jim Harbaugh was behind me, Joe Montana was to the right of me, and Richard Sherman was to the left of me. And then there was a police escort, and you're wondering, okay, who's there, who's there? And boom, it's Jerry Rice. And then there was, you know, Tony Romo was there. And sitting next to me, sitting next to my station was a station from San Antonio, and boom, Terrell Owens is sitting down with them. And then, you know, the next year I went down to Houston um, for the Super Bowl, and the, the guys next to me are from Dallas and Emmett Smith sitting down next to them. And you're just seeing all these people. And that's like, okay, this is a pretty cool job. That so, is, a, that sounds, I mean, like that's just a dream for some of us. <laughs> so, so it is a dream, man. It, it's, it's fun. It's hard, but it, you know, Super Bowl week in particular is hard, but it's fun. So this is, I mean, this is, this, this was going to be going to be to, to uh, be a question that I had later on, but I mean, I'll ask it now. So, Obviously, the the stories that you hear in journalism school of the first job job you get, take it. You're going to go to some uh, some bum ass town in like in like West Virginia covering uh, middle school sports. But in reality, it, it's true. The one bit of the one bit of advice that you would give to aspiring journalists like Jack and I in terms of uh, taking patience, really uh, being the big thing. What's that one bit of advice that you would give going from these small small gigs, living at living in a basement, uh, getting to getting to be with Tony Romo at, at the Super Bowl? You know, I, I think you're right. I think you said it a second ago. I think having patience and having perseverance. And 
it was the same thing in, in baseball coaching. It was some of the best advice that I got. Like a lot of people get out of the business before their big break happens. And that, you know, you get scared off by, okay, I'm 25 and I'm not on my parents' health insurance anymore. Or I'm, you know, I can't afford to live on my own or I'm too old to live at home or this is an obstacle. That's an obstacle. And, you know, I was able to stick it out and, and there were obstacles for me too. Like I said, you know, 24, living at home, living in a parent's basement, 25, not, you know, same thing. And then I was able to get my break, but my station still wouldn't make me full time. Like I was doing a lot. I was up to assistant program director. I was afternoon fill-in host. I was midday producer and kind of co-host, not really of a kind of co-host, um, but I was definitely the producer of that show. And I was making, you know, I was making $9 an hour. And um, I finally got a raise to $12 an hour, but they were never going to make me full time. And they told me they weren't going to make me full time. And they told me, look, if you want a full time job, you have to leave. I didn't want to leave at first. And they said, look, we're not going to promote you to full time. You have to leave. So I left and I went to Burlington. And I'm lucky that Burlington happened to be close to home. But if Burlington wasn't close to home, I still would have taken a job, you know. And so you have to be willing to relocate and you do have to be, um, you know, you've got to be willing to stick it out because, again, a lot of people get out of the business before the big break comes. That is, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, we see that a lot, you know, when we are, you know, both Steve and I are in the journalism program here. Steve's actually a a business management major. He's getting his master's currently in sports journalism. I'm going, uh, I'm planning on the four-year journalism program here, getting my undergrad. And then I really have no idea what the heck's going to happen after my fourth year. You know, I see a lot of my friends all these past few years when they graduate that they do have to uproot and they have to go to Iowa and West Virginia and, you know, just small towns that you've really never heard of to work at small affiliates to get your feet under you before you can maybe get that, get that break that you're talking about. But along the way, you know, you, you've already mentioned, you know, the, the big names that you've been able to associate yourself with, even if it's just for a, a glance across the table at a, at an all, at an all time guy like Jerry Rice, but you know, who, who is some of your favorite guys that you've worked with in this industry so far? Oh, man. Um, I mean, there's a lot of really good people. There's a lot of people I've gotten a chance to meet. Um, Ryan Rosillo is up there. Um, you know, Ryan's got this rep as being a, a tough guy. And, you know, he even says, you know, oh, people think he's difficult to work with. I've gotten to meet him a couple of times. And I met him in person. And he was in Burlington once because he went to college at UVM. And he was supposed to record a podcast at his hotel. And the Internet crapped out. So he called me personally to come use the station computer we hooked him up today you know i lost my job once you know as a result of the coronavirus he called me personally on my cell phone you know talking to me for 15 20 minutes just about the business and wanted to know what happened and you know advice and things like that so you know that's a behind the scenes story that that's cool um Rusillo's, you know Rusillo's a great guy he's been great to me feel the eights of espn is one of my favorite people um when i first got to burlington one of my goals was to really um elevate the quality of guests and and field we were a patriot station field worked for the patriots he's at espn and field said definitely i'll come on every single week with you during the season so we did um so you know we got field the eights patriots won the super bowl that year so we had field the eights on for 20 weeks and that just elevated our content which was awesome bob sosi is the announcer for the patriots um yeah. he's a great guy you know i consider him a professional friend um and there there are many many others as far as just pure guests, um, the, the, you know, 
there are guests that are big names that you work really hard to get on. Um, Kobe Altman's the GM for the Cavaliers. We were able to get him on our station before Mike and Mike, before Colin Coward, you know, and we beat every national team to the punch when he got that job to be the Cavaliers GM. We were able to get him on. Um, one of the first big guests that I got on was Marcus Stroman. Um, I was able to get him on on a Saturday morning show at 9 a.m. And uh, when he was pitching for the Blue Jays. So, I mean, there's a lot of good guests I've talked to, a lot of great people. But, uh, you know, I mean, off the top of my head, Rosillo is, is right there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, just for me, growing up in the Burlington area, going to Vermont League Monster Games, my, my big guy that I always wanted to, you know, meet and talk with was Rich Haskell. Uh, you know, you obviously, you know, those, those guys, those names that you just mentioned, you know, they are, you know, those are, those guys are on a national level, but you know, on a local level, you know, Rich is, you know, considered a, like almost a, like a national, or, or a local treasure in the Burlington area. He's been doing PA work for the Lake Monsters for, you know, ever since I was a little kid, he has the absolute perfect voice for that job. Um, he also then was your co-host on the huddle at one one three. Yeah, I'll hook it up. I'll hook it up for you. Anytime you want to meet Rich. You yeah, let me know. I actually will. I, I, I got to meet Rich when I worked for the Lake Monsters a little bit. Um, you know, he I, you know, he was one of those guys when I asked, you know, if I could get an internship or, or try to work my way to try to get an internship at 1013. You know, he was the guy that was like, yeah, you know, we're always looking for high schoolers. You know, you might be, you know, a year out from from actually being in that position. But, uh, you know, Rich was, you know, he was very generous and and having us uh, and, and helping me kind of figure out the path that I wanted to go on. I told him, I said, Rich, you know, you've got a great voice. You know, if you, a PA's PA announcer is, is Rich Haskell. I'm telling you. Well, my, my, my big advice to you guys, and, and I kind of forgot it, um, which is shocking to me because whenever anyone asks, what's your biggest advice, I always give this piece and I kind of forgot it. The biggest advice I would give to you or anyone else is to learn how to do everything. Don't think that you're above something. And, I, I always tell this when I was in college, I don't know if it was arrogance or naivete or a mix of both, but I walked on first day on campus, tried out to be a, a sports anchor on the TV station and I got the gig. And then I was also right away, the only freshman on the hockey broadcast doing pre and post game stuff and doing intermission reports. And I was the, the broadcaster for basketball, all of it as a freshman. And I just assumed like, Hey man, like I'm the talent. Like, I don't need to coil cables. I don't need to learn how to press buttons. I don't need to learn how to run a board. I don't need to learn what this button does or that button does. I'm just going to be the guy who talks. And when you get on the other side of that, you know, you might be big man on campus while you're there. But the minute you get off campus, you're, you know, I actually didn't get a job because I didn't know how to do anything but talk. You know, they were like, hey, we can only hire a board operator. And I didn't know how to do it. So I didn't get the job. And I could have started my career months earlier if I had known how to do, you know, that quote basic thing that I thought I was too good for at the time. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's I Steve and I are both in production classes. You know, we have the the TV station on campus where, you know, I I produce a, a first take type debate show called Bobcat Breakdown. You know, we debate all things Quinnipiac athletics. But yeah, you're right. You know, I got on campus my first day. I immediately went up to the TV station and the radio and the radio station tables at the activity fair. And I said, I want to be on air. I want to talk about the Red Sox. I want to be the guy that you see week in and week out. And they said, yeah, you can do that. But also 
learn how to produce and push the push the big colorful buttons that make the camera turn on because that those people are very important as well. Meanwhile, I'm pulling no. hair out of my head trying to learn uh, Premiere uh, Pro and After Effects. Yeah. Ugh. Brady, have you ever had to use uh, Adobe After Effects? Never After Effects. I've done the video stuff, Final Cut, Premiere, yeah. and then all the audio editing stuff, but never After Effects. Photoshop and Illustrator were enough for me to pull my hair out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, ah, <laughs> oh, geez, we have to use After Effects for all of our resolution graphics on the TV station, and it just, that'll make you pull your hair out. Rendering graphics <laughs> takes, like, 30 minutes. Oh, it's terrible. For, like, a two-second swipe. Um, anyway, in, in that way, radio is more fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, we have a ton of fun on the Mac and main show. Uh, honestly, my favorite part about doing radio and, and please feel free oh, to, geez. to, uh, elaborate more on this as the chief score in a score. Jared, Jared, Jared stood him, him through a picture. I got and, the game pause. What are you doing? <laughs> you want to laugh? Jack is Jack has the, uh, the, the game on. It was funny. You were, you were saying something and, and, and. I think the Pat scored or, or something, and Jack's like, "Oh, but yes!" And he's like, "Oh God!" Like the the mic's on. But uh, but please f- f- feel free to uh, elaborate more. I think the one thing about radio that, that Jack and I love the most is that like it's now for me, I have the face of radio, uh, and it's quite clear. So, uh, so does Jack. So hey, so, so, hey. so, so, be, so be, being able to come live on the air, it almost makes you feel that like you're not in front of a camera, the lights aren't on you. You can kind of just sit back and relax and not feel judged for what you're wearing that day on. Uh, do, do doing like a stand up. I don't know if, it, if if the same thing's for you, but I get petrified in front of a camera. Yet getting in front of a mic is the most <laughs> easy thing on the planet. Best part of the radio is not having to get dressed up. Oh yeah. Next best part is in general is for the most part not having to work until one o'clock in the morning, <laughs> like late night TV people do. Yeah. Next thing is is that you know where I really feel for TV people and where I love radio is that. You go to these painstaking efforts to get a great interview, or you, in, in TV's case, you drive 30, 40, 50 minutes to get to someplace. And then they tell you, hey, you did all this work. Now condense it all down to a minute and 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. I am not doing that. If right. I get, if, if Carlton Fisk comes on my show, we are talking for 15 minutes. We are not talking for a minute and a half. So yeah. in radio, we get to tell those stories and let them expand. Yeah, Absolutely. we love designing our content. And like we, we, every week we sit down, we make an outline for the show. It's all bullet points. We don't ever script anything out except for our, our blitz segment, which is literally just, you know, four minutes at the end of the show. We go through the headlines that we didn't talk about. Everything's bullet points. And we talk about what we know from what we've seen that past week. And like, like, it's just so fun. Cause like you, you don't have to worry about, about, about scripting a script. Cause at the end of the day, we like, we know sports, we know what we're talking about. So just being able to have that kind of like a barstool sports, like like two guys on the couch watching the game, just like shooting the shooting the ball, just talking about it. And I think that's the best part about uh, about being able to do radio. But um, yeah, it depends on the it depends on your style, though. Some people some people can do that. Other people, you know, I call it scripted unscripted. When I when I do a show, if it's a three hour show, I'll have a ten page show sheet, you know, and I'll have okay, here's the topic, and here's my stats and figures that mm-hmm. support the topic, you know, and, and then we'll do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And, oh, Red Sox are looking for a new manager. Well, here's some bullet points on seven different guys that they might consider. So some people can just shoot from the hip and are really good at it. And some people need more of a script than you think. Well, in that case, let's talk about sports because <laughs> there's three guys talking right now on the radio. And, and all we've done so far for 30 minutes is talk about how we can improve the industry. 
But what's happening right now? And we have a lot of crazy just circumstances right now where we have expanded playoffs. We have COVID outbreaks, COVID outbreaks which we, you know, we, we saw coming. Uh, we have uh, MLB and NFL commissioners that are possibly in the hottest seats on the planet. Yeah. Like sun level. And, and you know, locally, for, for us, Brady, at least, you know, we have a lot of Red Sox fans in the area. And the Red Sox, for the second year in a row, don't have a manager going into the season. And I kind of want to start there. So yeah, I mean, Ron Ron Renick, he got the short end of the stick. I mean, he got he got absolutely screwed. He was the right he was the right choice at the time. He was the right cho- he number one. He was the right choice. He's already managed, taken over for what happened with Cora. You need a guy who can provide some stability. He'd already been in the organization. That was good. Then you throw COVID on top of it. He's a guy who's who's older, who's experienced, who's been through adversity before, who could handle who could handle a young team. Um, then he got dealt with, he lost his best pitcher to Tommy John surgery, his second best pitcher to, to having coronavirus out for the year in Erod. He lost multiple of his best relievers, including Darwinson Hernandez and Josh Taylor to COVID. Um, you know, all of a sudden Ben Attendee can't hit, but that's not Renicky's fault. So Renicky got the short, the short end of the stick. They're going to go with somebody analytically inclined. I wouldn't be shocked if they bring back Cora. Um, I'm mad at myself. I'm not even against bringing back Cora um, because I generally don't like, you know, I'm generally a by the book, no cheaters, no taint the game guys. But, you know, the, the angst of COVID took away my anger at, at any of that stuff for the most part. So I'd be okay bringing back Cora. But, um, I mean, th- we knew this was going to be a bad year for the Red Sox. Thank God it was only 60 games. You didn't have to watch it for another 100 more. But they had to reset the luxury tax. Trading Mookie became about the only thing they could do once the, once the season got turned down to 60 games, <clears throat> even though they did it in February, right before COVID happened and everything. But, you know, it became almost the only thing they could do. So they'll be much better. They have money to spend. You know, Trevor Bauer is in play. We'll see what happens. So um, I actually have a list of free agents that the Red Sox could sign. Um, I'm going to just kind of start by naming them off, and you tell me yay or nay and then why. Okay. All right. So you already mentioned Trevor Bauer. He was at the top of my list. Of course, yay. I mean, I would give him, you know, Bauer said before he wants only one-year deals for the rest of his career. Um, maybe he'll amend that given what's up with COVID. But if you can get him for a one-year deal, he's only going to be 30 years old. I, I, I'd go high value. If I can go one year, I'll go $28 million for him. And with one year, I don't have to protect him for the future. I can throw him 200-plus innings. He wants to work that way. He is a workhorse. He's got elite stuff. He's a bit of a, a wacko, but I've grown to love that about him. Um, it's a much, it's a better hitting division now. So he's not going to put up the same numbers he did with the Reds or with Cleveland and the awful AL Central. But I'd give him high volume for one year, definitely. I would absolutely throw thirty-five million dollars at, at him as the New York Mets. Oh my goodness! I mean, yeah, he could. Yeah, be... the Mets are a lot different than the Red Sox. So. Well, yeah. Well, of course, me being the uh, the Mets the Mets homer, I'm all in on basically the Mets getting anybody in order to <laughs> pull, pull something out of the bag. Big JT guy over here, of course. All right. For the Red Sox, then George Springer. Um, depends on the deal. I mean, you're talking for him. You're talking like, you know, let's see. I mean, pre, probably talking like six years, one forty. I would say I'll probably pass at that rate. Michael Brantley. If I can get him for a two-year deal, then I'd say yes. He can hit in the DH spot. He can play left field not a difficult left field to play essentially off the monster. 
I still have Ben Attendee. I've got uh, I've got Verdugo. I'm a little left-handed, little left-handed heavy there, but I'm going to lose Bradley in all likelihood. So if I can get him two years, forty million or so, then yes. Jake Odorizzi. No, the dude <laughs> throws eighty. 89 miles an hour, I'm good. For the most part, you need velocity, especially in that division. So, I mean, there are a few guys, Granky, Marco Gonzalez, who can operate under 90 miles an hour. He's not one of them. So uh, that was kind of the problem that we saw with Brian Johnson. You know, he kind of got ousted because, you know, he just couldn't touch 90. Oh, don't compare Jake Odorizzi to Brian Johnson. I mean, my goodness. I mean, Odorizzi is not my cup of tea, but he's been an all-star. Brian Johnson is, is lucky to be on a team. Well, we saw what we saw with Brian Johnson was we saw the only Red Sox pitcher to be drafted since 2007 to make more than what like 20 starts in the majors. The Red Sox don't develop pitching very well. That's their big problem. Every big pitcher that they've had, they've either bought or traded for. Rick Porcello and Ala and um, Chris Sale are your are your big two, you know, price points right there. That's true. I mean, and look, you're right about that. The Red Sox, look, they were in different. Uh different wavelengths for the last couple of years, right? When they when they had Ben Sherrington, it was all about get prospects, and they blew that plan out. Then Dombrowski's whole thing was you better win the World Series, so they blew their prospects out. And, you know, I understand that Kopech has not turned into what his repertoire says he should be or will be in the future, and he could very easily eventually turn into that guy that they gave up. But, you know, they were in a position to blow out prospects to go win the World Series, and they did that. So the last person that, that I want to talk about with the Red Sox would be who's going to fill in now at reliever. Jack has Alex Cole and they listed, but in, but in my opinion, they think there are better options. In, in the case that Zach Britton ends up walking, which I don't think he will, but between Zach Britton, Blake Trinan, possibly bringing back uh, Mark Melanson, other uh, other options, who would you have as the the firm relief pitcher trying to, to try and sign the, this year? Well, they're not going to have unlimited money. I mean, Heim Bloom's thing is, is going to be value picks and, you know, and they, you see him give opportunities to guys trying to is a guy who was unbelievable three, three years ago for Oakland then fell off a cliff and then is not a closer anymore for the Dodgers. He's a guy who's done the job who could do it. Maybe they could get him for, you know, two years and 12 million. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're talking about value and opportunity, then I'd go for him. If you're talking about, Hey, I have an unlimited checkbook, then of course I take Britain. Of course. Yeah. I'm, well, well, you know what we've seen, you know, in the American League East is that bullpens dominate. Just look at the Yankees and the Rays. I mean, those are the two teams that have had success because they have late inning guys that just absolutely lock it down. You know, this year the Yankees are riding that Chapman, Britton, and Ottavino wave. Or actually, no, Ottavino, he's out, right? So, like, you know, you're riding that wave of, of Britton and Chapman, you know, into the postseason. You're going to have to outpitch the Rays to get to the next, to get to the next level. I mean, bullpens dominate baseball now because starters just don't go as long. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that they don't. But we saw it with the Royals a couple of years ago with their three-headed monster. We saw it with Cleveland with theirs. We saw it with the Cubs even when they went and got Chapman. And they won the World Series. You know, They were using relievers, high-leverage situations in the fifth, sixth inning. So the Yankees are blessed with a ton of hard throwers, some of which they found under the scrap heap, some of which they've traded for or signed. I mean, you know, Tommy Canely was a Rule 5 pick and a cast-off with the Rockies oh, yeah. and the White Sox. Fun fact, I doubled off Tommy Canley in, uh, in high school. But, uh, you know, there are guys that they found. There's guys that they've cultivated. There's guys that they've ultimately bought because they're the Yankees and they can do that. So, um, 
But, you know, they lost Batantis after they had had Batantis for a bunch of years and developed him, so they've done a good job in that regard. So actually, speaking of the Yankees, I think this is a pretty good uh, turn into looking at the overall MLB postseason as a whole. As of right now, the the Rays are up 3-2 to, uh, to two over the Yankees in the fourth inning. So I want to start with, with Tampa and the Yankees because of the, the idea of the bullpen is going to be a huge factor in this series, but whether it be... Blake Snell not going not going the full length. I, I don't I, I don't know if Charlie Morton is healthy. He might be. I could be totally wrong. But the whole year for for Tampa has been that idea of the starter and having these bullpen players come in, having their starters uh, come on the back end, or even Blake Blake's, uh, Blake Snell pitching two three innings and having the bullpen leave it all up. Then of course we know what the Yankees pack offensively and defensively. So starting off in Tampa and the Yankees, game one's right now. What do you see as the outlook for the playoff, for the series? I, mean, I think Tampa's going to win. I don't know that I think Tampa's necessarily better, but I think playing in San Diego helps them. Mm-hmm. Given it, take, you know, it neutralizes the Yankees' power, especially, you know, Aaron Boone has said that the Yankees are built to play in Yankee Stadium. They have a lot of power hitters. they got a lot of lefties in that lineup, too. Um, they got some power hitting righties, of course, with Judge and Stanton, but they're built to play in Yankee Stadium, and, and they don't have that in San Diego. And I think the Rays, have better pitching than the Yankees do. So beyond Cole, I mean, look at Garcia is going to start game two. He just announced. So then Tanaka is a question mark in game three, even though he's been good in the playoffs. So I think Tampa wins. I don't know that they're much, much better than the Yankees. I don't think they're eight and two better like they were in the regular season, but ultimately I think Tampa is going to win. So Houston has a one Oh lead on the A's. Do you think Houston's going to keep it up or the A's are going to, are going to pounce back? I think the A's are going to bounce back. I think that lineup is so deep. The A's don't have great pitching. Their pitching doesn't scare me, but Houston doesn't have great pitching either. They don't have a great bullpen with Osuna out for the year and Verlander out for the year. I'm in the rotation. McCullers is a question mark. Those far too many curveballs as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think the A's will win, but they're going to have to hit their way to win. They don't have great pitching. You know, they're going to hit home runs and, you know, guys you've never heard of, Pinder and Marcana, these guys are going to, we're going to have to do some things. Loriano will have to do more than just play defense. But, uh, yep. you know, even without Matt Chapman, I think the A's are going to win. We do saw you... former Vermont Lake monster Sean Murphy hit a home run today, his second oh, yeah. career postseason homer. I, I think that we had, when we had uh, Skip Rick McNaughty on the show um, back in February, he said that Sean Murphy had rookie of the year potential, you know, granted there if there was probably a 162-game season. But that's uh, exciting to see, uh, to see some – very slight, you know, connections to the Vermont area, making some making some pushes in the postseason. Always fun to see guys when they come through the minor leagues. I worked uh, single A for the Astros for a year for a summer, and uh, you know, saw Derek Fisher come through, and that was cool. And JD Davis come through, and that was cool. And then uh, I saw Michael Conforto be the worst outfielder I've ever seen in my life, and then all of a sudden be close to a Gold Glover a couple of years later. So. Uh, you know, it's always good to see guys when they're young. I've never heard anything more accurate coming from a Mets perspective about how Malik Rafford was a horrible infielder, regardless. Um, so my, <laughs> so big question coming out of the AL, in my opinion, would be, I do think Tampa and the A's will, will end up meeting each other. I think it's a very interesting series because both teams seem very similar, almost 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 identical, in my opinion, on paper. Decent, decent back-end pitching, good front-end pitching in terms of starters. And then the offensive, the offense is... I don't know if I don't I don't know if there's something in the Gatorade in Tampa, but G Man Choi is an absolute beast in the playoffs. Don't know what it's been, but who do you think is going to come out of the AL uh, in terms of the World Series um, team that will that will uh, take part? I think it's going to be the Rays. 
I can't believe I'm saying that, but I just don't. I just like their pitching so much more. I like their bullpen. I think they have an attitude and aggression to them. I think they can do the little things. I think the A's are a little too home run reliant right now. Um, I don't think they have the starting pitching. Um, but in, in, in the NL, I, I think that, you know, I think the Dodgers are clearly the team to beat. I think the Padres are a great story. I think they're a year ahead of schedule, but they've done it the way that a lot of teams do it, right? They cultivate, they're awful for, for years. They cultivate the farm system to get great guys, to make good trades, to get even better younger guys, and then they strike. When the iron's hot and you pay Hosmer and you pay Machado and you go acquire an Austin Nola and you go acquire some bullpen help. So Padres are a nice story. I think the Dodgers will get it done, uh, you know, ultimately, though, in the NL. So we, I was going to ask you about the National League up next, but um, the absolute bandwagon of the San Diego Padres came back to beat the Cardinals uh, to move on from the wildcard series. I kind of want to talk about Fernando Tatis for a moment because – to a lot of people, Fernando Tatis is the the present face of baseball, more so than Mike Trout or Aaron Judge in that respect. Uh, do you think that that this is that he is a the real deal, and that B in the next couple of seasons he could lead the San Diego Padres to a World Series championship? He is the real deal. He could lead them to a World Series championship. They still need. They need their pitching to be healthy. You know, Lamette and Clevenger and Paddock, you know, those guys need to be healthy. They need to get Kirby Yates back in the bullpen and, and get him healthy, too. They could win a World Series. They're going to be battling out with the Dodgers, though, for a while. The Dodgers are still loaded, so it's going to be hard to do it from a wild card position. Tatis is good. He is not the face of baseball. That is still Mike Trout. Mike Trout is the greatest player I've ever seen, and I love, I love Griffey, but as far as like watching him every night in his prime, I just wasn't doing it. Most of what I see from Griffey that was so good is from highlights. Now Trout, I get to watch every night. Trout is the best player I've ever seen. We're going to get into the marketing of players soon, because that's, that, that's been a hot topic that uh, Trevor Bauer, who we talked about, we talked about earlier was, was pounding uh, Rob Manfred about. And honestly, I think he has, he has every right to do so, but just, just before we get into that. So I want to talk about, well, Miami, Beat it. Beating the Cubs uh, in two games, they haven't. They've the only two times they've ever been to the playoffs. They've won it all. So, first of all, are, were you surprised? I mean, I shouldn't even say this. Were you surprised that 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 Miami managed to sweep the Cubs rather than than simply win the series? And do you think Miami could have any sort of shot to possibly beat the beat the Braves and then miraculously beat the Padres or Dodgers? Um, yes, I was surprised. If you think about though teams that got put on the list of teams that could surprise in the 60-game season. The Marlins were in a lot of them. They have good young players. You know, Sanchez, who pitched great against the Cubs the other day, you know, the guy that got the headliner in the Real Muto deal. Um, They have young players. They have exciting pieces. I don't think they would have competed over 162 because you would have gotten into things like innings limits Mm -hmm. for young players, etc. But I'm not surprised that they were able to contend. I am surprised that they ended up better than the Phillies. I am surprised that they ended up better than the Nationals, even though the Nationals had guys opt out. Um, you know, if they were at full strength, I don't think that the Nationals are worse than the Marlins. But given all that went on, I'm not surprised the Marlins were in the conversation. So the final question is going to is going to end up being the fact that that the Dodgers really are the favorite to not only make the World Series, but possibly win it, considering the Yankees are shorthanded with Tommy Canley hurt and with the fact that Jacaro Stan and Aaron Judge can never even stay healthy on the field together. We don't really know what's going to happen in the next two weeks with the Yankees. But is it possible that anybody could beat the Dodgers? 
Oh, yeah, of course. No one can beat the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers have been beaten before, and Walker Bueller hasn't been as good as he's been the last couple of years. This year, Kershaw, he was unbelievable the other day, but just with his age, I don't buy into the whole Kershaw's a postseason choker, but with his age and with his health issues in the past with his back, I, I don't expect him to go eight innings and strike out 13 every single time that he's out there. So, um, And Kenley Jansen, I got questions about in the bullpen. They didn't even pitch him the other day. You know, they let Kershaw keep going because it seemed like they didn't want to go to Jansen. So um, there are questions about the Dodgers. They can be beaten. I still think they're the favorite in the NL. But if you told me they didn't win the World Series, I wouldn't look at it like, oh, my God, I, you know, I bet all my money and was going to move to Vegas and the Dodgers winning. I mean, I think they're the favorite. But if they lose, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, that's the most shocking thing I've ever seen in sports. So then let's move on to the marketing of baseball, because this is just an absolutely sore subject uh, for a lot of people. Baseball is, as we all know, America's pastime. But recently it feels like, and when I say recently, I'm I'm probably talking the last 20 or so years, the National Football League has really just taken taken America by storm. You know, you had the the, the Patriots and Cowboys dynasties, uh, and, and then you had, you know, the Seahawks have that have their Legion of Boom dynasty. Do we see a problem right now in that in that Rob Manfred is not doing enough to promote the game to appeal to a younger audience? Because Steve and I know we are both outliers in the fact that the baseball population, the age group continues to climb. I mean, Manfred needs to get more in touch with social media. The NBA is far better at marketing on social media and what you can distribute and highlights and interaction and things like that. But so Manfred has failed with that. But ultimately, the players have to want to be marketed and the players have to want to be vocal and to be flashy and to be shown off. And I think a lot of the players, they just don't because it hasn't been the culture of baseball, especially in the United States. You know, guys are... They are taught at the minor league level to be more robotic and they are taught and this is how you are in interviews and this is how you are in public places and this is how you are on the field and you must play the game, quote, the right way. And it takes a generation or two to coach that out of people. This is not something that you're going to get rid of in three or four years. Now, the international players have played with more flair historically and they've met criticism for that. I mean, even just think about Yasiel Puig a couple of years ago and um, so the players, you know, the, the Tatises that are, you know, Harper and Tim Anderson, I mean, they're American born players that have, that have done it, but they met grief for, you know, got grief for it. So you need players to want to do it. And then you need to know that it's accepted by other players. And you're going to need a generation or two to cycle through before where everybody is in that same wavelength. The most interesting part about it is the fact, is the fact that we see like, one of the prime examples I learned for, learned from business school was in a marketing class we took. It was uh, the the ideology of Papa John's commercials and how everyone knows J.J. Watt and Peyton Manning doing Papa John's commercials, but they have to wear their jerseys in order for you to really know who they are because you see them behind a face mask for like every Sunday. And yet Mike Trout, the most prolific name in baseball, ha- has one of the most lucrative contracts in the world, is is the least marketed player out of the top 25 players uh, like contract wise there are pro boxers and ufc fighters that get more marketability than, than, than mike trout but at the end of the day i think a lot of it also falls on the the uh the commissioner's office and the ownership in terms of 
disallowing it. Like I know there was a huge controversy with uh, with the NFL and players wanting to wear like custom cleats. Like like um, Odell was one of those big players that that for the for a while he would have these pregame cleats that would. Uh, support like a a charity or something, but but the NFL would say no. You got to stick to your blue and red colorways or your brown and per, uh, your brown and orange ones. Yet, yeah, but what's but but what's wrong with? And this, this is what I'm saying. The players have to want it because Baker Mayfield's in every commercial that there is, and when Baker Mayfield yeah. plays plays bad on Sunday, the thing is, hey Baker, maybe a little less Hulu has live sports and a little more time in your playbook. Mm-hmm. So. When Mike Trout says, look, man, I'll do a Subway commercial here or there, but by and large, my head's down, I'm going to be focused, and I got one goal, and that's to be great. Well, we want Baker Mayfield. Like, very few guys can have both. Very few guys can do both. You know, LeBron can do both, but Mahomes can do both. But right now, Russell Wilson can do both. But by and large, we ask guys to not be so self-promotional and to win something first before they start mouthing off or appearing in every commercial. So if Trout has chosen to go the silent route and just play, that's usually what we ask guys to do when he gets criticized for it. I, I, it's bad for the sport that Trout doesn't want to be marketed. It's great for Trout, though. It's made him you know, $425 million in his contract. That's just this contract. And it's going to get into the Hall of Fame and he's going to get 100% of the vote in the Hall of Fame. At the end of the day, I would say Mike Trout still won, even if baseball loses to a degree. Mm-hmm. So the first guy that baseball really considered to be their marketable star is actually your idol, Ken Griffey Jr. I don't know if you watched Ken Griffey's special on MLB Network that aired this past summer, but uh, I, uh, I know that they talked about how he was the first guy in the steroid era when when he wasn't even the best player in baseball because there was guys like Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, and Sammy Sosa. They chose the kid with the big smile, um, with the most who had the most flair to be the face of the game. And you talk about guys who wanted to have or who guys who could do both, be self promotional and also be uh, on the on the field assets. So how do you? I mean, Griffey- Griffey might be the best player of all time, though. He's in that LeBron, Tiger Woods, Mahomes category, like Jordan. Very few people can do that. And I wish I were living, like, I wish I were old enough to to recognize, you know, what 1993 was. Because the same grief that Bryce Harper got, I would have to imagine Griffey was getting in more for wearing his hat backwards and wearing earrings, et cetera. He was just good enough to back it up. And right he's the only one who could get away with doing that. I mean, that's just such an outlier. Like, yeah, he was marketable because he was the rare combination of, of, of persona and skill. And most people just don't have that on either end. So this is kind of a double gun uh, question in terms of uh, the marketability, going back to what you were saying about how the players want it. Do you think a happy medium would be, where we have the NBA basically runs House of Highlights or like Bleacher Report only really shows football plays, basketball plays. Do you think it's A, the fact that, that that baseball simply isn't flashy where like the home run doesn't really compare to the dunk as the the Roman the uh, Ramon Laureano throw from center field to home is it, it doesn't really have that like flair. It, it's something crazy, but watching LeBron do a do a tomahawk dunk over Jimmy Butler would be way more entertaining. Do yeah. you think it's A that? And B, the fact that 
that the MLB really doesn't even have a marketing standpoint in terms of like keeping a, a huge presence on, on, on social media. It's really only the MLB Twitter, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, like or cut four. cut four, where again, House of Highlights and uh, literally anything you name it is all over these other sports franchises. I mean, baseball's bungled the the social media thing. They've made certain content not shareable. Um, I mean, like baseball hasn't tapped into that as well as they should. The NBA again is far better, but again, the players also. The NBA is has historically been it's a younger game. The players are more active in technology. The players are more apt to get into it with each other. All of which matters. And baseball players haven't really done that because it's been again coached out of them to be individualistic. It's been coached out of them to be to be loud, to be brash. It's been very much put your head down, accomplish something first, like Bull Durham. And you've been told that if you do something, you're going to get retaliated against. So therefore, you shouldn't be doing it. So again, you're going to need a generation or two to, to go by before you can really change this. But baseball can't address the social media stuff now. But in terms of right. the players and their willingness to be accessible, that's going to take some time. Well, we have the whole let the kids play program, that baseball, or I wouldn't say program, their whole, that whole initiative that Tim Anderson has really taken the lead on. And one of the huge things that baseball has done is they have done the Field of Dreams game, or they at least plan to do it this year. They're not doing it uh, because of COVID. But that's one of those things where baseball is starting to assimilate more to pop culture because we, you know, we wanted, we want baseball to connect to the younger generation and every kid who has a dad and has a, you know, a glove and a mitt or glove and a ball. And they, they go and they watch Field of Dreams and they watch the players come out of the corn. Baseball finally was like, you know what? We can, you know, we can recreate that and make that a, 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 something that really the NFL can't do and the NBA can't do because they're not going to go and play NBA games on black tops and they're not going to play NFL games and random houses and backyards and things like that. So is that one advantage that maybe baseball could start to take, uh, take on? Well, definitely. I'll have to leave you with this. My phone's at about 1%. You're all good. So, um, the field of dreams game is cool. Field of dreams is still a movie that's 25, 30 years old. That's not really, going to identify with much of the younger generation. Um, the Players Weekend stuff, yeah, I think it's corny, but 12-year-olds don't, and that's who Khaki you need to appeal to at this point. Um, funny hats, funny jerseys, funny nicknames. The, the Williamsport, the Little League Classic, that's a home run. That's oh, yeah. a win. Like, it, that is unbelievable, um, and that is awesome, and that's great for the game. And you've got to create just more and more fans of the – at the grassroots, um, it's why it's horrible that minor league baseball is going to get shrunk down by at least 40 teams because you're taking away an accessible grassroots level of the game and an affordable one. But you've got to grow more fans at a younger age. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Brady Farkas of WDEV 96.1 Waterbury, Vermont. Thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight. Uh, appreciate it, guys. Uh, enjoy Hamden and uh, enjoy uh, Side Street Wings. Oh, yeah. Shout out, shout out to the side street wings. Oof. Oh, that's so great. Go follow Brady on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. Uh, and also, uh, you, do you have a showtime yet? Not yet. It'll be announced. Uh, it'll be announced very soon. When that comes out, we will be sure to plug that. We'll be sure to plug yeah. that. Once it comes up. But, Brady, thanks so much Appreciate for joining it, us. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you, Brady. Thank you. What a time. Successful. That was fun. We had a great time. So... I mean, I I learned a lot in terms of uh, in terms yeah, of, the, of the overall yeah in, like industry baseball. I, honestly, I was more so surprised by the fact that that he 
as somebody who is a journalist, obviously you thrive to learn more and more and more about the industry itself, but he seemed like he he knew it top to bottom. Yeah, and which it's I loved. It's really cool for for, you know, someone who has listened to him for years, you know, on on local radio, you know, meeting him maybe twice in person. His willingness to just come on and 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 shoot the breeze with us is it's great. Is, it's great, and and you know, hopefully one day if we're ever at that level, we can do the same thing for uh, kids sitting in these chairs in twelve years. Oh yeah, well, who knows? Well, we, we I need a job first, and then I got to be able to. Well, first, first I got to graduate, then I got to get a job, then I got to do X, Y, and Z to get ahead. But well, uh, guys, thanks so much for tuning into the first live Mac and Main show of the year. That was big. That was a big was show. Time. Big show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Mac and Main. Like us on Facebook. We finally uh, reactivated that tonight. Uh, like, uh, go subscribe to us on YouTube, and also be sure to check out our WordPress blog and subscribe to us on YouTube. Folks, that is all. Two uh, two hours up, two hours down. We are going. To, we're going to go. There's no one after us. But at at eleven o'clock, well, we should, we are supposed to have somebody after us. I don't know. At eleven o'clock. Yeah. Well. Well, oh, it, yeah, that's ten o'clock. Jeez, in an please. hour, uh, expert on everything. We don't know who you are exactly. However, but you know what? Please, stick around. yeah, stick around. Please plug it again. You're listening to the Mac and Main Show, folks. Next Monday, get ready, eight p.m., folks. You're listening to the Mac and Main Show on ninety-eight point one WQAQ, the soundtrack of Quinnipiac. Peace. Peace.